In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Everyone whom the Father gives me will come to me, for this is the will of my Father, for everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him to have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. From John six thirty seven and 40. Jesus, in John's Gospel, very clearly states what we as Christians believe. Accept him, and we will have eternal life. This is one of the passages my brother and I have chosen for my mother's funeral on Monday, and I find the words comforting. As I leafed through her prayer book during those last days, I found holy cards extolling her belief in the risen Lord, prayers she would have said often while she turned the pages in her missal every week at Mass. Jesus is telling us that he has been charged not to lose a one of us whom the Father has entrusted him with, and if we believe in him, the Son, he will raise us up on the last day. Remembering what Paul wrote in my quote from last week, we cannot see the things eternal, but we can believe. Let's believe. Alleluia. Hello. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. Good morning, Texans. Good afternoon, fellow countrymen. Good evening in Australia. My guest this week is Andrew Einsbrook. We're going to be continuing the conversation we started on June the 10th, where we ran out of time because we can both talk. This week, I'm going to natter on about the secret to staying unfrazzled by the constant rain, West End Live, Father's Day, pigeons, and yoga. So go get whatever sustains you at this time of day and make yourself comfy for an hour as I share my spiraling life with you from across the pond. Have we ever been walking? And it's not the same as walking in a mall because there's the weather to consider. Last night, we were walking to our yoga class, and it was raining, so we had our mags on, raincoats, and umbrellas up, and saw all kinds of people scurrying home from work, making the trek up the hill, in dresses and bare legs, or suits with no raincoats. Obviously dressed for the weather at 7am when they set out, but not for the homeward-bound overcast dampness. They did have umbies, though, short for umbrella. On Sunday, we went into London proper to Trafalgar Square, where Nelson's Column and the National Gallery hover. We were dressed for rain, which also had an, and we also had an umby, and we had sandwiches for the required McNenny picnic later, and the weather kept changing. We had to keep shedding clothes for each time the sun came out. It was brilliantly hot. Then the downpour started and the temperature dropped drastically. So back on went the sweaters and coats. I had Uggs on my feet, so they were fine. Malia wasn't quite so well clad, so she shivered during the rainy spots and was fine in the sun, except her feet were wet. So she was wearing some of those brogue shoes with the tooled holes in the leather. 
The event we tended, attended was called West End Live and featured four or five songs from all the shows going on in London's West End, equivalent to New York's Broadway. The place was packed and looked crazy when all the umbrellas went up when the sky opened. We saw Chicago, We Will Rock You, The Jersey Boys and Mamma Mia before declaring enough. The music took me back, but not in the way I'd want to relive my life again. I'm happy just where I am, but the music is so incredible from that time. Malia had found an abandoned umbrella on the train. She'd sat next to it during the train ride, and it was evidently looking for a new home. We've lost many an umbrella that way. Just crazy Americans, not used to the additional appendage, just in case. Judging by my parents' umbrella stand, they never lost one. There are a great selection for us to choose from. We have two city slicker black furled umbrellas with bamboo handles, an elegant cream one, even a double whammy, which we sent them from America in bright red, never taken out of the box. I wonder why. It does look a bit kitsch. Back to the West End excerpts. After suffering a good drenching, along with an earful of great music, we found our favourite um, churchyard in Covent Garden and joined the bedraggled pigeons for lunch. Then we wandered through the arts and craft stores of Covent Garden, no more vegetables and fruit, before heading home. Hey, another day in the rain. If we'd stayed inside, we'd not get anything done. We just have to have that ever-present accessory. As Malia pointed out, the little fold-up ones that fit in a bag just aren't big enough when you're walking a distance. They're okay for a dash from the car to the mall, but for a long trek, forget it. And Sunday was Father's Day here, and it was Father's Day there, so no excuses for forgetful children across the great Atlantic. They didn't forget, but by the time they'd roused themselves on a sleepy Sunday morning, our day was drawing to a close here. Malia took Dad to an Indian restaurant. I went as well, and she asked him to pay, because without a job, she has no muns. That's the story of our lives. Our waiter was more interested in our Americanness than serving us. He kept telling us about his family from Bangladesh. Starving children immediately springs to mind for me when I hear the name Bangladesh. How about you? And his family who come over here and they're all expected to stay with each other no matter how crowded the accommodation is and vice versa whenever he returns to India. And then if any of his family decide to relocate to our cloudy shores, which they can because of the Commonwealth, they open an Indian food place. And they do. There's one on every corner in London. Well, in England, actually, we had a delicious meal. And on the way home, we were walking, so we were able to share a bottle of wine. Well, at the table, not on the way home. We caught sight of a red fox trotting up the pavement in front of us. He'd stop and sniff and then carry on. None of us had any cameras, so you'll just have to take my word for it. When we arrived home, there was another fox under the willow tree, so we must be surrounded by foxes here, just scratching his ear and rolling in the grass, establishing his territory for the night. I have to be careful feeding the birds because I don't want to attract the foxes or the squirrels or the rats, for that matter. They do become pests, but apparently like raccoons, if you put food out, the foxes will come all the way up to your um, back door. Anyway, Malia 
the hot Texan, and I say hot because her bedroom at home was upstairs and all the summer heat would congregate in her area. So the air conditioning, which we ran for a lot of hours, never quite cut it for her. And she was always hot and had two fans going at all times when she was in residence, but not so here. She came out of her room the first morning and said, I love the way I can control the temperature in my room just by opening or closing a window. True that. A lovely breeze comes wafting in, especially at the moment with the morning temperatures around 18 degrees centigrade. That's something else we have to get used to. Here's the centigrade temperatures. You double it and add 30, so that's about 66 Fahrenheit. Light sweater weather with rain sprinkles. Well, I told you last week that I'd taken a basic yoga class. This week, my blue-eyed cowboy joined me at another class, but first we had to go in search of yoga mats. There's no Target or Walmart in walking distance, or here at all for that matter. So we set out to accomplish two things one morning, registration at the doctor's office, so we can make appointments when we're sick, and to find the fit shop where yoga mats are sold. We had vague instructions of the whereabouts of the latter in about the same vicinity as the doctor's surgery. That's what the offices are called here. And we've been given landmarks such as the fish and chip shop on the corner. Really? They're everywhere, like Indian restaurants. They might have three or four along just one little stretch of road. Anyway, after registering at the doctor's and having a cup of coffee because the walk had taken 25 minutes, we headed off with two independent directions to the David Lloyd Fitness Center founded by the famous tennis player. The center was supposedly close to the fit shop of yoga mat fame. We walked for a long time down a residential street that offered no signs of fitness centers or recognizable urbanity. Finally, we asked a postman. Good idea, handsome hubby. And he sent us back the way we'd come and along another house-lined road until we did in fire, indeed come to a fitness centre tucked among the trees and surrounded by woodlands in the middle of London. I'm telling you, a swish and wealthy area. We went into the club feeling a little bit out of place and Hubs went to the desk to ask directions to the shop and I stood apart with Malia taking in the Olympic-sized swimming pool and the fancily appointed offices and jokingly said to Malia, what's the betting that's the shop? Pointing to the pro shop opposite the reception desk. She laughed. And it was. At last, we bought our mats at an alarming price and headed home. The whole foray ended up taking us three hours. Who needs yoga? After another trip to the high street later in the afternoon for groceries with a wheelie basket, a rigged wheelie basket, but more about that another time, we went along to a yoga class with our mats in tow. This one was also in the parish hall in an upstairs room on the first, not the second floor, it was the second floor, but they call it the first floor here. The bottom floor, the first floor, is called the ground floor. Makes sense. The room had a fireplace with a mantel and a mirror. There were four huge windows with heavy velvet drapes. The floor was old wood and the ceiling, which we got an eyeful of because we began the class in shabasnasa, or corpse pose, on our backs, feeling our breath. It was high with ornate plasterwork and four chandeliers. However, the room's spacious proportions rapidly shrunk as 10 people filled the room besides us. Five of them were also men, which was a relief for hubby and me. It means he'll go back. 
Anyway, the class was more advanced than the week before, and I worked up a sweat and felt completely wrung out by the end. I fell into a trance during our final pose, lying again on the floor, and I commented to my chief cook and bottle washer on our walk home, whatever's for dinner will be well-deserved today, as I realised I'd eat nothing. Yoga, once again, is a beacon amidst the unexpected darkness dogging my life at the moment, something familiar in all the unfamiliarity. During the day, I see pigeons under our willow tree. The first time I saw one, I thought it was a squirrel it was so big. But on closer inspection, I identified it as a bird, good ornithologist that I am. My Texan said how massive they are, glossy brown, well-groomed, and almost the size of a small partridge. We found out that they are called wood pigeons, not to be confused with the scrawny and bedraggled grey city pigeons that live around Trafalgar Square and even up and down our street and at the station. At both ends of the day I hear them calling out and I'm reminded of my boarding school. Interesting how our senses are time travellers. And now I've got to go on a short break and I'll be back with my guest Australia. So don't go anywhere. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Come be a part of Pat Sloan's Creative Talk Radio. Her goal is to inspire you to be creative every day. Pat Sloan's Creative Talk Radio, Monday afternoons at 4, 3 Central on Toginet.com. Pat lives and breathes being creative through her quilt design business, but her creativity and interests have no bounds. On her show, she'll be introducing us to guests through interviews and talks that have a creative life. We'll learn more about what goes on in the world of quilting. And since Pat, like many of us, is creative in many ways, she'll also introduce us to creative people in other crafts like knitting, crochet, paper arts, and lots more. Pat is also an author, a lecturer, designer, and cheerleader of many. She's tried her hand at making almost everything you can think of and does many crafts to keep her inspired to create. Check out her website, patsloan.com. What makes Pat most happy is to inspire others to be creative every day. So join us for Pat Sloan's Creative Talk Radio, Monday afternoons at 4, 3 Central on Toginet.com. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
Well, my guest this afternoon is Andrew Einsbrook. Andrew moved from America to Australia in 1987 after meeting and falling in love with his wife, a stand-up comic. Who wouldn't? Anyone who makes me laugh is a go. And there's more to this little love story. Andrew was an improv comic. And they were both doing their thing on stage in Hawaii when the magic happened. Can't get more romantic than that. Since then, Andrew's life has been filled with film, writing, comedy, animal welfare, and the raising of their daughter without sending her to school. Andrew now has over 100 books published or coming out. His family filmmaking company has made three films, Finding Joy, which he wrote and directed, Seven Days with Seven Dogs, which has delighted audiences around the world, and The Sacred Earth, the 2012 phenomenon, which he edited. Welcome, Andrew, and thanks for joining me again today. Thank you for having me again. It's wonderful to be here. Well, good. Um, and may I say that I was absolutely transported to there with you in the yoga hall, <laughs> trudging up and down the streets. It was lovely to hear your story. Thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you. Um, last time we spoke, we talked about the wonderful impression homeschoolers had made on you when you first made contact with them, making us sound a little bit like aliens. But in reality, homeschooling is becoming more popular. But we are still in the minority. And I think I can confidently say that our status still is classified as out there. My brother would say weird, but not to my face. Um, uh-huh. But we are unique. Anyway, we did all the homeschool talk last time um, you were on, but I do have a couple of related questions just to get us started, and then we'll talk about something completely different. Um, I'm ready. All right. Well, I want to talk about um, whether or not you have heard in Australia during your, you know, sort of homeschooling times of families being harassed by the authorities because of their decision to homeschool. Do you have a, a harassment story or anything like that? Hmm. I think that those days are probably gone. Yeah. The uh, you know the the authorities do prefer that you register. There are families who don't. I think that I think I mentioned last time that the authorized person that's their title here who comes around to the home has pretty well been trained by now that they understand that it is a legitimate approach that they're, you know, it's not just about keeping the children away from something, that it's about taking a different approach that's often much more responsible. And the days of walking around the house and flicking the light switches to see whether or not the lights turn on really are pretty much gone. But certainly the parents who came before us and who are still in our group, you know, relate that that's what it was like back in the day. But in our, in our case, those people have uh, pretty much moved on, and the the uh, support it is much more there. I know that, for example, and it's state based. Uh, we're in New South Wales. I know that the ACT office is uh, that's the Australian Capital Territory, which is sort of nearby. And our homeschool group is sort of a, uh, has members in both places, so we we cross that boundary. And uh, the the local homeschool person in the ACT office is forever sending out stuff. Oh, this might be of interest to you folks. Oh, here's something that's coming up. So there, and also similarly in New South Wales, the Board of Studies under which the homeschool area falls has a whole set of resources that they're more than happy to make available. They won't pay any money. There's no support financially. But I think that I'd be very surprised if I heard of a case where people are being harassed now. It's really it's just that much more mainstream, even if, as you said, we're still, we're still weird. 
We are weird, but that's fine. Mm. I don't mind. Um, yeah. Well, why, who wants to be normal? Who wants to be normal? Um, so, do you belong to the legal? You know, to a legal group, the like HSLDA or something like that, or is there no need? I'm, I'm not familiar with that particular uh, acronym. I can say that we are a registered homeschool family. Mm-hmm. As I said last time, we figured that our profile as you know as writers and filmmakers could potentially be quite public. Mm-hmm. And so we ha- and you know we had no need to avoid what was going on. Mm-hmm. I know other families have other decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the ACT, which again our group is is uh, falls under, they've actually only put an official. Uh, registration uh, process into place uh, in the last few years. And similarly in Victoria, again, the story is quite different. That if you look at the, I did some research a few years ago looking at the numbers of homeschooling families, and you know, it was however many hundreds in New South Wales and however many, whatever. And in, you know, Victoria it was like two. And that was because there was, you know, the the, the registration process at that time was, uh, you know, e- either onerous or it was, you know, not not promoted. And it really was a whole different story down there. Uh, presumably, it would have changed in the five or so years since I did that research. But, yeah, it's state-based, and the different states certainly have a different approach. It was quite difficult at that time to find good numbers in terms of how many families there were. And certainly, there are going to be plenty of families who fall under the radar, decide to be in the cracks. And, and you know, I, I have no problem with that. I think that should be a very much an individual mm-hmm. uh, a decision, but obviously the like I say, the board of studies want to make sure that you're not keeping your child in a box. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and I, you know, the state does feel like it has a role there, which yeah, yeah, I can accept that. Yeah, well, there, there's a um, a big legal defense group out there called Homeschool Legal Defense Association, mm. and um, I speak to one of the lawyers regularly. And Europe, would you believe Europe, a Western country? I mean, they Germany and Sweden. Um, they have rigid homeschool. It's illegal to homeschool in those countries. And it's just terrible. Some of the stories, how the social services just come in and take the children out because they find out the parents are homeschooling them. And wow. in Sweden, there's, there's um, a family that have not seen their seven-year-old son for two years. That's I mean, it's insane. Just, it is. And, and we're not even talking about, you know, sort of a country like, China or, you know, South America or something. We're talking about Europe. Anyway, and so that's really, really interesting, but it's, it's really refreshing to hear um, of the countries that are, are very um, open and supportive of homeschooling. Indeed, um, it is. You know, one of the parallels that strikes me is like home birthing. And that, again, it's a very yeah. cultural, culturally specific thing and how different cultures look at it different ways, you know, and I'm it could be I could have my country wrong, but my memory is that like the Netherlands, if you yeah. if you go to the hospital, there's something wrong. Right. You know, the the norm is to have the children at home yeah. and the, the exception is it. And so, you know, as we discussed last time, you know, homeschooling is what everyone did up until not that long ago. That's right. So it's it's uh yeah. it has its place and I think it has a very strong place and as I said before, it's about taking responsibility as far as I'm concerned. It's about saying, you know what, I know my child as well as anyone, and mm-hmm. I want to provide for her our kind of education while best preparing her for the future. Okay, before we get into your films, are you still an improv comic? 
Funny you should ask that. The last improv class that I did was for a group of homeschoolers. Right. I, we don't perform regularly anymore. We've turned our attention in other directions. Mm-hmm. But I certainly, you know, it's kind of, it's a bit of a way of life. Because if you, one of the core features of improvised comedy is saying yes to that which comes your direction. If mm-hmm. someone says, I am a purple popsicle, you, you don't look at them and go, oh, my God, he's a purple pop. What am I going to do with that? You, you just go, yes, you are. And um, I, it looks to me like you're melting. So you say yes, and you add to it. And if you can approach homeschooling like that, life like that, I think you're going to find it much more interesting and much more flexible than anything else. So you teach improv classes, or you have taught an improv class? We have in the past, yes. Okay. And, okay. and again, we did, one, we did one in the last few months. Every now and then I'll turn to my daughter who's now 15 and say so you know do you want me to organize anything for the for the homeschoolers and you know yeah let's do another improv class so yeah, yeah we did that okay well that sounds interesting because it sounds as though it, it could um, apply or does apply to life just to how you view life i yeah. certainly think so yeah absolutely and yeah. and again you know we all know people who are rigid in their thinking and it's that rigidity that's often a problem with how they deal with the problems that are in their lives or the people who are in their lives. And if we can all just just be that little bit more flexible and maybe that little bit more tolerant of other perspectives, I think we're all going to get along a lot better. Well, yes, I think that's what we're trying to do um, across, mm. across the board. Um, so since both of you, this is a question that I, I pondered, since both of you are artists, mm. how do you get the business side of your, your stuff done? Or is, are you both business-minded, too? Well, that tends toward me. You know, Billy and I bring different things to what we do. And we have a lot of different interests, and we have a lot of things that we wish to achieve and, and are, are achieving. Uh, Billy is not only a filmmaker and a writer, but she's also a shaman. So in addition to our animal work, she brings a, a, a shamanic perspective to what we do. So in terms of the, the, the work that we do together, she's very good at the big picture stuff, the vision stuff. And I tend more towards the nuts and bolts and the implementation and the detail. And so those two things complement themselves very well. So while it may fall me, to me to do the counting maybe she's actually much better at selling a story that might attract someone who might like to participate in the in the project that we're working on so we we do bring those two different things together and you know artists have to be business people steve jobs the founder of apple once very famously said true artists ship in that they finish their products and they get them out the door and they take them to market. And so as an artist and as a filmmaker and as an independent business, you know, you can't avoid all that stuff you want, if you want to do it successfully or, or over time. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, we do have to do that. And again, you know, tying it back into the homeschooling, I often look for how can I bring our daughter into the process, not just to the filmmaking process, but for example... Even fulfilling an order, you know, when someone buys a DVD, we, uh, you know, it has to go from one place to another into an envelope and out the door. And so she's taken on part of that fulfillment responsibility just because she's interested in doing it and it's a way for her to make a little bit of money. And it's also a way to participate in the business in a very fundamental and important way. 
Well, Andrew, we're getting ready to go on a break. For those of you just joining us, I'm talking to Andrew Einsbrook, an expat living in Australia with his Australian wife. And um, after about 90 seconds, we will return and talk about animals they've rescued and what it's like living the Einsbrook way. So don't go away. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward with tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. Everybody in the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing? Chronicling her opinions on everything. The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Mom with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I'm back talking to Andrew Einsbrook, and we're going to talk about some of the films that um, he and his family have made. Um, is there one in particular you want to talk about, Andrew, or can we go with the dogs? Seven, what, seven days? Seven? We're more than happy to start with Seven Days with Seven Dogs, which okay. was an absolute labor of love. At the time we had seven dogs, we have eight now but oh, at the time we had seven oh yes and uh at the time we had seven and one our senior dog was named suki and she had a mass on her lymph that the vet looked at us and said well you know you guys better make every day a jewel and suki loved the the whole going into town thing you know different dogs like different things uh, and she used to love 
sort of the meet and greet, sniffing the other dogs and walking around. And so we, you know, uh, I, I mentioned earlier that Billy does shamanic work. Well, Billy also does animal communication. And, you know, so she said to Suki, what, you know, what do you want? Because we know that joy and happiness is a healing emotion. And so Suki said, I want more outings. And so we, we said, well, you know, we take you out. She said, well, you take me out, but you don't take me out. And so we started taking her out. Every week we let her, you know, wander around the block and have a good time in town. And uh, and Billy thought, well, you know what? If this dog wants an outing, I'm going to give her the trip of a doggy lifetime. So we bundled our seven dogs into the car and took them on the trip that any dog would love. We traveled sort of down to the Great Ocean Road area in Australia, which is sort of in Victoria down south. And the dogs got to do everything from stay in five-star, five-paw luxury accommodation where the dogs get up on the leather couches, all the way to taking a horse-drawn gypsy caravan ride. So it was quite a trip. And Suki, who we thought was only going to have a few weeks left, she actually ended up living another two years. It was an amazing recovery. Wow. And yeah. Uh- so where do you get your dogs from? Gosh, you know, because Billy can hear them speaking, it's hard for us to say no to them. You know, when, when they say, save me, which is what Suki said, you say, okay. Uh, we had, uh, at that time, we had two that came from uh, a pound that was known to send the dogs off for animal testing. We had one, Suki was in a little dog, and when we found her, she was a, in a cage in a vet with a little sign on it that said, two days to go. And I remember thinking, now that's marketing. So we took her on and let's see, we had Louie who was just basically abandoned with another dog named Cedar who uh, the person just kind of moved out of their house and left the dogs behind. Uh, We have one now who came to us from an abusive home and the person didn't want to leave the abusive relationship until they knew that the dog was able to... uh, be taken care of and so we took that dog on and we're not really taking on animals so much anymore although in a minute i'll probably tell you that we're about to get another mob of horses but uh you know our our thing is much more education and much more helping people understand that you know there is such a gem of wisdom living in the animal who shares your home if you can just open up to that you'll have a much richer life mm-hmm. so do all your dogs live indoors or are they out oh yeah Oh, yeah. no, no, no. Indoors, on the bed, you know, wherever they want to be. We we typically, Billy has a, we have to organize the different dogs in, in, in a certain order. We have uh, we have two who live sort of out in the living, so not live, but sleep out in the living room. And then there's kind of, at the moment, sort of six who sort of sleep kind of in the connected office bedroom area. Two typically sleep on the bed, one under the covers to the left of my wife, and I'm on the right. So we're, we're of the opinion that animals and humans have much more in common than, than they have that are different, and they deserve the same respect and honor and communication that everyone else does. And so, you know, we, we place them in a much more equal position than, than many people do, but we think that there's an honor and respect that that deserves. Yes, well, obviously, um, you've just um, proved that the British aren't the only people who are dog crazy. <laughs> you can't, you can't go anywhere here. People just stop, and you know, in America they goo goo over babies. Here, it's over dogs. 
hmm. on the street hmm. everywhere. And, you know, dogs are allowed in restaurants. They're allowed places that young people aren't allowed, you know, sort of outside the sweet shop. There's a sign saying no more than two school children at a time. But you take any, any number of dogs in there, you know, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. I actually remember that from when I was living in Munich, that the, uh, you know, you were welcome to bring your dog into the pub, but heaven forbid you should bring in a child. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, Okay, so dogs. That was seven days for seven dogs, yes. Seven days for seven dogs, and I saw um, what you had on your website. Is that the whole thing, or was that just a clip? No, 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 no. The whole journey is a 53-minute documentary. Oh, right. That was just, so it was a clip, yeah. That but was it, a, a little clip. Right. Yeah. Yeah, if, if people want to see that clip, they can just go to wildpureheart.com. So, yeah, and there's no AU on that. It's a .com. And, the, and not only can you see a trailer, but there's also the first six minutes of it. But, yes, the whole journey was uh, 53 minutes. One of the things that was interesting to us as the filmmakers is we thought, you know, you know well, this will appeal to, to dog lovers, and, of course, it does. But also one of the things that was interesting to us when we were uh, hearing audiences talk about it after we screened it was, that the that, that people enjoyed not just the dogs, but they actually enjoyed our interaction with each other as well as our interaction with the dogs and seeing how this different approach. And we've had any number of people say, oh, gosh, if they can take a vacation with seven dogs, it's not that hard to put one in the car and take them with us. And and I'm not sure how it is in the, in the States, but here in Australia, there's all kinds of dog-friendly places now, and there there are directories of places where you can take your dogs. But one of the things that we uh, tell people to do is you have to make sure that, because there's dog-friendly and there's dog-friendly, and there's a difference. You know, For some people, dog-friendly is, well, the dog's allowed to come up and look through the door. Yeah. And... But if we see a hair inside, there's going to be hecked pay. Whereas other places are like, yeah, we'd rather have dogs than kids. <laughs> are you kidding? Less mess? Less trouble? So so if you're researching a vacation like the kind that we took in seven days with seven dogs, that's a really important tip is to do some research about the kinds of places that you can go to because they really do vary in terms of their, their scale of dog friendliness. Mm-hmm. Well, you found some wonderful places. We sure did. We sure did. There was there was uh, places that you would be happy to take, uh, you know, anyone because they were such luxury and, and such nice. And also the dog friendliness of them. You know, we, we would arrive and there would be, you know, dishes laid out with water and doggy treats and everything. It was actually quite sweet how some of them did it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, for instance, with the horse-drawn gypsy caravan, that was much more a camping kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But again, the dogs got to, could run alongside the, the the caravans or or uh, or be inside it was uh, it was a lot of fun that was a good one so what a, I'm sure you've had plenty of animals in your time there that you have taken on and maybe even bottle fed because we've done that um, oh, yeah. so tell us some of some of the animals that you've had in your in your family well I'll, how about I give you a current inventory we okay. currently have 26 horses uh, Eleven of those are Brumbies, which is sort of the Australian equivalent of a Mustang. So they were for, wild horses. And it's interesting to see how they interact with humans in a very, very different way to, say, our rescue thoroughbreds uh, mm-hmm. react with humans. The thoroughbreds are like, hi, how you doing? Uh, yeah, you can pet me. Whereas the the Brumbies are much more 
you can come within a few yards, maybe if you're lucky. <laughs> so there's a there's a, a wildness to that. So we have 26 horses, and I think we're just well. We've we've put our hands up. The one of the national parks was having to do something with some of the Brumbies over there, and so we've put our hands up for a family of Brumbies. They're supposed to come in the next bit. Uh, we have eight dogs, as I mentioned. We have two cats, two birds. Uh, we have a, a mixed herd of two alpacas, eight goats, and a sheep, and all of those goats were hand-raised and in hand-raised inside the house. Uh-huh. So we bottle, f- and we're still bottle-feeding the three three babies although they're not so much babies as they were half a year ago mm-hmm. and uh so they form a, a lovely mixed herd and what's interesting about that in terms of of hand raising them like that is of course you you know and again tying it back into the homeschooling it's about well where's the responsibility here and who how how do we relate to these animals and can we invite them into our home and i'm sure there are plenty of people listening and go oh my god you had you know, three goats in your house, you know, are, are you crazy? And at one level you could go, yeah, well, you know, we have already covered that we're weird. But the the interaction that, that gives you the relationship that you can form with those animals is so different than if, you know, they're always at an arm's length and over there somewhere in the paddock. And again, it's like your kids, you know, if you, if you homeschool your children, you have that opportunity to have that deeper, closer relationship with them. And, you know, you either value relationship or you don't. And if we're homeschoolers, you've got to value that relationship. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it. Sure. So we have the, the, the goats, the sheep, the two alpacas, two budgies, two cats. Did I mention my oh. daughter? So, so <laughs> you, must have, yeah, you must have a lot of land in order to be able to sustain 26 horses. So how much land do you have? Uh, we have... Uh, bit more than a couple hundred acres one of my friends from the state said gosh anywhere in atlanta with that much space that it would have its own zip code yeah so we're we are very fortunate to have some acre, some acreage here that we do uh we don't actually try to farm anything like that that's not what we do we really do just provide a place for people well, for animals in need Again, we're, we're, we're a bit selective. We're not trying to take on everyone. And one of the reasons that we have to be is that we don't rehome. We don't take animals in and then find them another place to be. Yeah. Once they're here, they, yeah. they stay. Yeah. Uh, and if people are interested in that kind of thing, they might be interested in checking out Billy's website, which is billydean.com. That's B-I-L-L-I-E-D-E-A-N.com. Because Billy's work as a, as a, shaman, a shaman and an animal uh, advocate and, uh, you know, our work together there, she documents that there more than on our, our filmic website. So that's uh, that would be something if people are interested in the animal angle. Billy wrote a book called Secret Animal Business, which is... Uh, one of the ways that she's sharing her insights into the animal world and their spiritual and and psychic nature. Well, we're getting ready to go on another break, Andrew, but come back afterwards because I want to talk about a DVD giveaway that you um, are offering to do. So um, you need to tell us about that. Okay. And um, we're going to go on a break for about 90 seconds. And um, what are you doing? <laughs> it sounds like you're walking around. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I just slid my chair slightly. Oh, okay. I can I can hear you making a noise in the background. Anyway, so come back. Here are the tunes.
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Want to be challenged in a powerful way to leap beyond what you think is possible? Then join us Mondays for the Leah Jansen Show. Every Monday at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Toginet.com with Leah Jansen. Listen live as life coach Leah uses her coaching skills to give you the tools you need to take action and create momentum. You are encouraged to call in and share your greatest fears, challenges, and obstacles. And then listen as Leah obliterates those barriers to success. For more on Leah and the show, check out her website, LeahJansen.com. That's Leah, L-E-A-H, J-A-N-T-Z-E-N.com. Spend one hour with Leah, and you'll be captivated by her energy, enthusiasm, and magnetism. You'll quickly become addicted to her positive attitude and make-it-happen mentality. Ready for a life-changing, mood-altering show? Then get ready for Leah Jensen. And listen live to The Leah Jensen Show every Monday morning at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Andrew, um, one of the one of your films that I want to talk about um, now in this last segment, and really we've got about five minutes to talk about this because you want to talk about um, giving away a DVD, um, sure. this Sacred Earth, the 2012 phenomenon. Um, yep. When I saw when I saw the teaser on your um, website, I was just so pleased that it wasn't about what everybody thinks 2012 is about when they talk about the Earth and 2012, the end of the world. Um, that's, so that, that's yeah. exactly that's exactly where we were coming from because yeah. we knew that 2012 is this time of opportunity mm-hmm. and that there would be a lot of doom and gloom and fear and all of that going on and we were very conscious about wanting to inject a note of optimism and hope and possibility into that whole discussion mm-hmm. so what we did is we interviewed 17 different wisdom keepers modern wisdom keepers ranging from one of the leading druids in England to uh, the medical anthropologist Dr. Alberto Violda, who's uh, with the Four Winds Society in the States. And we were looking for people who had sort of contact with indigenous-style wisdom, but brought into a modern context. And we used those Mayan 2012 prophecies as sort of a point of departure for talking about, well, how can people fall back in love with the Earth and honor the Earth and honor the planet and move through this time like I said, is with the idea of this is a great opportunity for change rather than, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, um, I, as I was listening to um, one of the introductions, I suppose I thought, yes, this is just so good because I mean, 2012 is just a date. How do you, you know, I mean, where on earth did that come from? And how much better to, you know, look at the earth and say, this is, you know, this is our responsibility. It's been given to us to, to nurture and, and enjoy and um, help flourish. And we're leaving it to our children and their children. And, you know, we, we have a responsibility. So that all falls into that responsibility too. And so I was really thrilled to see that. So thank you. Um, for well, th- thank you. Thank you. And, and again, we tried to make it. So we centered it on various themes. You know, what are the things that people can do in this time? And it's stuff like, you know, develop a bit of a spirituality, live a little more simply, connect with nature. So many of the fundamental problems that we have in our society today, especially Western society, stems from this disconnection with nature. You know, if our idea is that food comes in in a wrapping paper and we don't understand that, you know, the, the earth, our mother, you know, yields it to us, from a sense of generosity, you know, mm-hmm. that disconnection is is so core to why we feel we can abuse the earth. But if we can reconnect with the earth and reconnect with spirit a bit, then that gives us this chance to deal with the earth differently. Because Lord knows we need to. There are enough problems that are going on that could be healed just with that single idea of, well, let's treat the earth with respect. Absolutely. Um, Andrew, um, you're offering a dvd so will you tell us a little bit about that and um perhaps um yeah how we can get to that okay well we have as you said at the beginning three different things we've talked about seven days with seven dogs we talked about the sacred earth the 2012 phenomenon the other one that we have is finding joy and i would be happy for one of your listeners to win a copy of the dvd of their choice any of those three i'd be happy to mail out to them and do you have a mechanism for how people could best do that um, yes, I do. If um, listeners, if you go to my um, Toginet website um, after you've um, listened to the podcast or live to this show, um, you leave me a comment and um, I will take the names of everybody who left me a comment this week or the, over the next couple of weeks on this pod site. And um, I will just draw a name. You leave your name and address and Andrew and um, his daughter and wife will mail you a copy of the DVD. Is that how you'll do it, Andrew? That would be exactly right. And maybe what they could do is say in their comment which of the three they would like and why. Which DVD and why? Okay, so give me your um, website address and um, also include Billy's. And I will also put that on my Toginet web page on my article that goes with this show so that people can click on it easily and find it. But just give it over the air, please. Right. So our our filmmaking one is wildpureheart.com and Billy's website is billydean.com, B-I-L-L-I-E-D-E-A-N.com. So wildpureheart.com and billydean.com. Okay. So again, there's an article about Andrew on my um, Toginet website today and it'll be on there for about, um, well, it's always on there. It stays on there. And under the article, there's a place where you can do comments, do a comment. And in the comments, say which DVD you would like and why. And at the end of a period of time, I will um, do a drawing one or two weeks. So Andrew, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Um, 
Um, My Andrew, pleasure. Yeah, Andrew um, was an improv comic from Atlanta, and he met an Australian, and they moved down under, and um, he became involved in her life as a freelance photographer and budding filmmaker. They homeschool their 15-year-old daughter, who shares in their filmmaking and writing business, and um, we've been talking about their interesting and definitely not fundamental life as a self-sufficient, earth-respecting, and life-preserving family. Thank you so much, Andrew, and you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Bye. Bye. All right. Well, I think that was very interesting because I have um, something that um, I noticed that really spoke a little bit to what Andrew said about how our world is um, getting away from nature. And I think that there are some points where our world is possibly getting away from um relating to each other and um, I noticed it uh, when I was traveling the travel system of course is marvelous here apart from the bus driver who refused to open doors for me because he just pulled away from the stop only to have to halt again because of the traffic lights and they do that a lot they leave the hailing bus passenger looking foolish in the middle of the road um, for the most part we've learned that if somewhere is in walking distance it's probably better to save the money and use our legs because bus rides soon add up and a little cup of coffee at an inexpensive bakery is quite an appealing reason to get our exercise even if we do get wet um, last night we were coming home from Bromley on the bus and the driver gave a hard time for not having a card um you know for not having like an oyster card or something that we could just swipe he didn't want to take the effort to take our cash and he gave a young mother a hard time too um she had for him having to deal with people seemed to be a real problem at one stop he opened the exit doors, which were in the middle of the bus, and as people were leaving, he started to close the exit doors on top of these people, and they were getting squished within the exit doors, and this caused an uproar in the bus, and we ended up exchanging bus stories with each other. We started talking among ourselves, and then at another stop, he let about six uniformed school children on the bus. They were teens, and then we saw them getting off again, and we looked at each other and went, why did those kids have to get off? Obviously, they were locals. They weren't getting on the wrong bus. He just didn't want them on the bus and i wondered what his deal was the automated age has certainly killed face-to-face -face customer contact just think of the phone talking taking you through the process with a machine when you call up somebody and checking stuff online instead of seeking information from a warm body it used to be that a bus driver was a good source of information but no one dares to speak to any of the bus drivers anymore they just don't want to know they just look straight ahead and they don't care about their busload of passengers um so I think that's a shame, and Andrew was talking about that, you know, that we, we're getting so wrapped up in, in um, our automated world that we're forgetting not only about nature, we're forgetting about um, our, each other, the humans as well. So um, I think that's a shame. So I, I think anybody who's working towards changing that and encouraging us to, um, you know, sort of relate like we used to in the old days with each other is, is, you know, sort of heading in the right direction. So go ahead and pop a comment on my Toginet website and win yourself a DVD. Um, the church at the bottom of our road has a lovely graveyard and you know I love graveyards and it's called St. George's and it's the parish church and it's now our local 
Um, looking up its history, I found that it was originally built in the 12th century, that's 11-something, and then rebuilt as the new St. George's in the 14th century, and it survived as a humble medieval church until it was rebuilt in its present form in 1885 to 1887. That's 400 years later, or maybe 500 years later, actually, as a confident town church. There was a find on the premises while they were rebuilding it, and um, it was on display at the back of the nave. My blue-eyed cowboy and I found it after Mass on Sunday. It was the remains of a Saxon font. Saxon times was 12th century, so probably part of the original church. And it was amazing. Are you green yet? And there's a bell tower with a peal of 10 bells. And the bell ringers meet every Thursday night to practice. I heard them last night while I was reading in my room. Apparently, there's a sound reduction system which they use while they're doing their bell ringing practice. Um, but I could still hear them as clear as a bell, a pun worthy of my eight-year-old nephew. I can also hear the clock tower from the lounge as the hour and quarter hours are chimed, and it's quite a departure for us from the digital age. Malia and I went to the choral evensong on Sunday, and the choir and the organist were magnificent. In fact, the choir actually tours cathedrals around Britain. It's that good. But only about 20 people showed up for the service, but we enjoyed the music and the voices and the organ playing. Hubby and I can step back in time and use our church as our main source of entertainment, which it used to be back in the medieval times. You see, it was the centre of um, village life. Um, there are always concerts being performed, some in the afternoons or early evening. It seems that St. George's is trying to kind of keep that tradition going. We went to another service and um, there were eight of the, like, 20 choir members um, singing for the service and there was incense and everything and um they were singing and they sounded like there were 30 people singing it was just incredible they're amazing anyway um the campanologists are recruiting in september and i wonder if they'll take me i've given up on joining the choir after hearing how wonderful they are i think all i need is strong arms and a sense of rhythm but i'm sure that bell ringing really isn't that simple well i've managed to rattle on for a whole hour and it's time for me to bid you farewell for this week the only plans i have for the weekend are funereal i'm making a poster of the photos i could find of mum when she was young all the way up to relatively recent she disliked having her picture taken so choices were limited i may embark on the marathon task of cleaning out the garage oh and jogging's fun malia and i still go out we can only manage 10 minutes but we're jogging a little bit more fully in those 10 minutes the funeral's on monday at 3 p.m my time 9 a.m yours so bear me in your prayers and may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you may the lord watch over you and give you peace and thanks to everyone at i guess and Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi.